I want to begin uh, with prayer for just a moment. And this is really, a, if you don't mind, I'm going to be a little bit selfish, if I may, because I'm going to pray for myself that you will receive what the Lord has for you somehow through little old me. So here we go. Let's pray. Father, I pray based upon your word, a verse that many of us are familiar with, that we have, many of us have prayed many times through the years. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Thank you, Lord. I pray this in the powerful name of you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm particularly sobered about this message because I don't think I could preach on a, me on a subject that is more high and lifted up than the subject of worship. <laughs> I think you all would agree. But let me begin with a little bit of a disclaimer. There's no way that I could ever give you the definitive nor exhaustive treatment of this subject. No one can. But like Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s when he wrote his great manuscript on revival, he started out, it's, a, it's about 16,000 words long, the title, if you look at it. And he says, he starts with a humble attempt. <laughs> I love Jonathan Edwards, a humble attempt. He, was, he graduated uh, Yale at, 20, at, at, nine, at 17 and then was president of Princeton University at 21. You got it? He was one of the great minds of that whole century. And he says, a humble attempt. So... I'm not comparing myself to Jonathan Edwards, but I'm just going to say this is a humble attempt to bring some insight and encouragement to us today about what many great preachers, Dr. Lee, you probably have called it this too, have called the jewel of the Christian experience. A.W. Tozer called it that. And I did a little bit of research about jewels. Now, I'm not a jewel guy. I mean, I got my wife a ring that had a diamond on it and all that, you know, many years ago. But I looked for the most expensive jewel that is known to man, and it's called the blue diamond, the hope diamond. It's $4 million per carat, so an average ring would be, a stone uh, for a ring would be $250 million. Yet, I think you all would agree, especially if you're a follower of Christ, that worship has far more worth than any specific object like that. Last week, some of you remember that uh, <laughs> I gave the illustration of how I lost my sanctification. It was the filling of the Spirit we were talking about. I lost my sanctification. You all remember why I lost my sanctification? I lost my wallet in one of the parking lots over here in Naples. And, uh, yeah, I had to kind of get a breath and get it back. My wife was with me. She kept me accountable. My attitude wasn't too good. And then <laughs> I realized I was preaching on the filling of the Spirit. Ever happened to you, Dr. Lee, when you're preaching on something and the Lord brings an illustration the day before to test you? Well, that was me last weekend. So why am I bringing up the, 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 the wallet that was lost? And I lost my sanctification, got it back, so to speak, by re, getting refilled uh, with the Spirit. It just so happened that uh, something dramatic happened, at least for me, when I got here with my friend Carl. We were going out for breakfast uh, yesterday. And I came, I was getting ready to go out to breakfast, and I was literally, this is, this is a true story, I was literally listening to some music. It happened to be Christmas music. I, I'm a crazy guy. I listen to Christmas all year round. But it was a worship Christmas song, and, I, and, I, and at that moment, I just said, hey, 
Normally, as here I am with the Lord, I'm just going to have a moment. Ever have a moment of worship where just like, I'm just going to worship the Lord. Maybe 30 seconds, a minute, whatever. And as I was worshiping, I got a phone call, 239, no ID, and I usually let those phone calls go through. Right? We all do that, right? But this particular time, I felt the prompting. I really did. I felt the prompting. Take that phone call. Guy gets on the phone. I'm going to pull out his card now. Uh, guy named Chris. He calls me. He says, oh, uh, listen, uh, Tim, uh, are you Timothy Mercado? I said, yes. I said, who is this? He said, well, I'm going to make your day today. So I thought that was one of those calls from somebody who was going to try to sell me something, right? He says, well, guess what? We found your wallet. And I said, well, does it have da 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 He says, yeah. It has my blank check in there? He goes, yeah. He said, you're like, yeah. Nothing was done. He goes, he goes, I hope you canceled those cards. I did, yeah. So I went over to visit Chris, over right by the Naples airport, and I'm going to give a little promo here because this guy uh, gave my wallet back. Hideaway storage. If you ever need some storage, go to hideaway storage. This guy named Chris. Anyway, my, my point about this is he told me that one of his workers, Tomas, found it in a puddle, and there was, the, and, and, and really, when I think about it, the, this kind of came out of a moment of worship. Some of you say, well, that's a little bit of a stretch. But it really did happen. It came out of a moment of worship. Why am I telling you this story? Because finding that wallet being found was not about the wallet. It was about five relationships that I was able to connect with that day because of that found wallet. You see, I went back to the gas station where that wallet was supposed to be, according to my, you know, I have a tile thing where you find the, you know, the, something that you lost. When I went there, um, I, <laughs> I found the woman that told me when I was, gave her my phone number and I said, listen, if you find it, she goes, honey, you ain't going to find that wallet in this neighborhood. I'm just telling you, that's what she said. Now, I said, well, if I don't, I don't. But if I do, just give me a call. I went back to that gas station, and she was there. And when she saw that, I, that wallet was returned to me by a good Samaritan, she dropped her mouth. And then we talked about God. We talked about the church. I found that she goes to a church nearby, and, 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 and two other people came. They wanted to hear the story. And all of a sudden, there were seeds being planted. You see, it wasn't about the wallet. It was about what God wanted to do in opening up a platform to talk to people and pay, plant some seeds for the gospel. Amen? All right, so... And that's the message today. I'm done. We're going to end up. No. <laughs> now, listen, last week, we looked a little bit at Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. And we talked about how, that, how we unpacked that verse. We used that little outline with all the C's. Remember all those C's? Command, conscious, continuous, conspicuous, consistent. Don't worry, I'm not going to repeat the message. But it was all about being yielded to the Holy Spirit. But this week, we're going to talk about worship. And isn't it interesting that the next verse coming out of that is verse 19, right? 18 and 19. The very next verse is really, verse is really about worship. A worship lifestyle that leads to specific times of worship in a place of worship with fellow worshipers. And you could do it on your own too. But really, the context of what Paul says here is in the context of believers gathering together. Because here's what it says. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. We just did that. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Dave, for worshiping the Lord and leading us in worship. I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but I want you to see how this all ties in today. 
And I'm going to talk to you about different facets of worship. Luke 10, 25 to 28. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? You're an expert. How do you read it? Jesus did this all the time, by the way, as you know. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. I'm sure he did that very dramatically when he, when he gave that answer. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, right, correct. Do this and you will live. Today, we're going to explore the subject, what is worship? And we'll discover that it's both a noun and a verb. It's both vertical and horizontal. And it's meant by God as a gift for us to give back to him. And when we do it authentically, it transforms our lives. Now, <clears throat> you all know the game show Family Feud. You know, when, they, when, the, when the host says... Um, you know, what comes to your mind when you hear the word, right? So what comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? If we had time, and we don't today, I would have a survey, and we would go back and forth, and if this was a Bible study or something like that. But I'm going to give you what I think many of you would say. Many of you would say that it's music. Worship is music, or involves music, or singing, praying. It's a service, so worship service. Or some of you might say it's a physical position, bowing down, prostrate on the floor, raising of the hands, you might, you might begin to go with adjectives like, well, um, let's talk about traditional worship, whatever that means. Let's talk about contemporary worship, whatever that means. Let's talk about blended worship, whatever that means. Different things to different people. And some of you might even come up with that phrase that has become sadly very popular in this last generation, worship wars. Have you heard of the worship wars? Uh, some of us have been the victim of worship wars. Some of us have been the initiators of worship wars. God help us. I won't talk much about that right now. But, and by the way, what exactly did Jesus mean in John 4.23 when he said that the Father is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth? If you Google that passage you'll find a lot of different perspectives about what spirit means and what truth means and the Greek words and people are making and I have opinion this, I have opinion that. Let's park that for a moment. So worship, how does it work out? How does it get applied in the context of this church or any gospel preaching church? This church family. Well, let's begin with a basic agreed upon starting point. It occurs when we gather on Sunday mornings. And this is not the only context or the only time, but for all of us who call the Naples Gathering our home, church, it's here that we have an opportunity to experience worship together. But do we? Did you hear that? In other words, we have an opportunity to worship on many different levels, but do we do it? It's not automatic. Sunday morning is the weekly main event where we have the opportunity to connect with God and each other. By the way, connecting with God and each other is a great way of describing the two great commandments. If you want to narrow it down to just a phrase, the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Connect with God. Connect with others. 
Now a couple of definitions. First we'll go with a secular definition. We always go to Merriam-Webster or one of those, right? So here's what, here's what Webster says about it. To honor or show reverence for as a divine being or supernatural power. To regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. Hmm. Here's another one. The ceremonies, prayers, or other religious forms by which love is expressed. How about that? That's a secular definition that really kind of gets at the heart of it, right? Now, the English word worship, and I'm sure you've heard this. I'm sure that uh, Pastor John has shared this with you in the past, or you've heard it, as, especially if you've been a believer for many years. The English word for worship comes from the Old English, and it's based on two different words. The word worth, which is spelled W-E-O-R-T-H, and then another word, ship, which is spelled S-C-I-P-E, and that's where we get the, the, the word worship, and it's really, if you're really going to say it phonetically correctly, it would be worth-ship, worth-ship. It's where we get the word, for instance, we have friendship. Uh, it's the quality of being a good friend. So worship is the quality of showing worth to someone significant in your life. Worship is the quality of possessing intrinsic worth or the status of being worthy. That, that is the one that you're ascribing worth to. And when we worship God, we are saying that God has worth, the ultimate worth, the pearl of great price, that he is worthy. We sing it, right, a lot, don't we? We declare and attribute worth to our great God. And who is more worthy to receive worth-ship than our mighty God? Oh, by the way, that was a rhetorical question. I love the song, Is He Worthy? This is a new song. Many of you have heard it. Chris Tomlin has made it popular. It's antiphonal. There's a response back and forth. Mark, I hope that this congregation and you will have an opportunity to enjoy this song together in the context of what I call throne room worship. But it asks the question, is he worthy? It comes from Revelation. And of course, it's based upon a verse like this, Revelation 5.12. They said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Over and over again, they, who are they? Well, verse 11 tells us, Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus, as if that wasn't enough, countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. Really a number that we can't even imagine. All worshiping. And in case you think this is just about them in heaven right now, listen to this. Verse 13 says... I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters here today, that if, we, if I did what I really wanted to do right now, I'd stop. And I'd fall on the floor before the Lord and invite you to do the same. And we would just spend an hour worshiping the Lord. That's what, maybe one of these days we'll do that. Maybe it'll be another time. But, oh, I see we have a, a supporter there. For that. You people go, oh boy, this guy Timmy's a little crazy. Hey, if, if I'm going to be called crazy, let me be called crazy because I'm a crazy worshiper. 
within context of the scripture. By the way, decently in an order we know, right? The Bible says, right? Now, and I mean that sincerely. But passionate for the Lord, the way it's described here. So, it's our privilege and honor right now in this time frame of our lives to worship the Lord. Not just maybe for a few minutes or even an hour, but maybe for hours. Maybe there'll be an opportunity for us sometime to gather as I had the privilege of doing in my former church where we would, every once in a while on a Sunday night, we would gather everyone together, say a few words to each other horizontally, and then we went vertical for the rest of the time. I remember one particular time, I know this sounds a little bit like, wow, three hours of nonstop worship, quoting scripture, scriptures that were first person to the Lord. Nothing was, nothing was horizontal, everything was vertical. And we saw people's lives transformed in that. We, I, okay, I don't, know if you, I don't know where you are on divine healing, okay? I believe that God sovereignly heals today the way he desires to heal. We don't put God in a box. We don't tell him what to do. We never do that right. That would be stupid, wouldn't it? But I remember one time they, I had a violinist. He was a Juilliard violinist that was ministering with us, and we were doing the song um, More Than Enough. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, you, you are more than enough for me. Many of you know that chorus from way back. He was playing it. We weren't even singing it. And there was a woman who was crying, one of our deaconesses. She was crying in this gathering. It was a one-hour worship experience. He went over to her and began, he felt proud to go over, and he played over her. Listen to this. It's not spooky weird, but listen. He played over her. We found out that the reason why she was crying is she had a severe case of shingles. And by the time he was finished playing that through twice, she was healed. We didn't even pray. We didn't even pray for that. We didn't even like, we, I didn't even know that Alta had. Do you hear what I'm saying? These are the kinds of things that God doesn't do all the time, but he wants to do at times to remind us that he is alive and well. He cares for us and he loves and inhabits, inhabits our praises. So audience of one, audience of one, where we see that God is our audience and we are not spectators, we are active worshipers of him in every aspect of our life, especially when we gather together in his name. So worship in this context is a verb. It's something you do. You're demonstrating the worth of a significant person in your life, and it generally, of course, is reserved for deity, for God. I hope in our lives, if you're a follower of Christ, a professing follower of Christ, I hope that you do reserve it only for God. No one deserves to be worshiped, or adored in that sense, only God. Now we're going to take a look at a few words in the next few minutes that describe worship in the Scripture. The first nuance of worship that we see in the Scripture is to bow, prostrate oneself. The Hebrew word for this is shaka, and shaka is the word that's used the most in the Bible for worship. Isn't that interesting? If you look at all the ways that one would physically worship the Lord, the position of worship... This one way outweighs every other word. Meaning bowing prostrate on the floor. Abraham did this in Genesis 24 when God provided a wife for his son Isaac and in many other places in the scripture. Now the Greek word that corresponds with this for the New Testament is proskuneo. And we see that most graphically in Matthew chapter 2 when the Magi come before the Messiah, and what do they do? They bow. See, we emphasize the gifts all the time that they gave. 
But really, the fundamental thing that happened when the Magi went, when they, when they realized they were in front of the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, they went right to their faces on the ground and bowed in worship. You see, surrender. Surrender, bowing before the King of Kings. The second word I want you to see here is, the word, interestingly enough, the word service, or what I call loyalty to royalty. Loyalty to royalty. The Hebrew word here is avad, and it means to serve. It is the word that is used in Exodus 3.12. When, Exodus, when the Exodus took place, there was a purpose for people being taken out of Egypt, and it wasn't to have a nice life. Do you remember what Moses said to Pharaoh? Let my people go so that we may... Anybody remember the word? It's the word today, worship. And in this case... Worship is the idea of serving God with loyalty and commitment. It's a total allegiance word resulting in service to God and to his people and to others who are not yet in the fold, so to speak. The Greek parallel to this is latreia, service. And this will not surprise you. This is the word that we see in Romans 12:1: Spiritual worship, your act of spiritual worship, a living sacrifice. So worship is not just the inner heartfelt response of thanksgiving. It is that. But it's a total lifestyle of allegiance and service to Almighty God. Number three, awe and respect, the fear of the Lord. The Hebrew word here is yare. Deuteronomy 8.6, that we would walk integrally before God in our actions. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the only thing that matters in, in life, Solomon found out about all, after all his riches, all his experiences, he repented at the end, thank God, of moving way away from God. And he said, the only thing that matters is the fear of the Lord and to obey his commandments. And that word is used there. Proverbs 3, 7, turn away from evil. That word there in that verse is this word, Yari. Awe and respect the fear of the Lord. The Greek parallel to this is Phobomenoi, fear, reverence. We see this in Acts 9.31. Great verse, by the way. You want to jot down a verse to look at today about what the normal church is supposed to look like? Acts 9.31, there it is. And one of the distinctives of the early church was that they lived in the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord. Revelation 4.17, if you're looking for something that kind of takes us into the realm of what we're going to experience for eternity, he spoke with a loud voice. Who is he? He is a powerful angel that God sent to make this statement. This is right after John describes the seven churches, and you've heard messages on that. Dr. Lee, I'm sure you've preached on the seven churches many, many times. But right after that in, in, in chapter 4, this angel speaks in a loud voice, and he says, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who has made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Wow. Number four, what I call confessive thanks. We don't usually use the word confessive in relationship to confession, but hear me out. The Hebrew word here is hodah, to give thanks, to make confession. Isn't it interesting? The verse that so many of us know and have sung, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, is a statement of confessive thanks. You're confession, confessing, agreeing with God about who he is and thanking him. The Greek is exomologeo, Philippians 2, 10 through 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That word is used there. 
It's a word of thanks. It's a word of confessing thanks. It's a word of worship. Now, how does this all relate to us? Well, I'm going to ask a question. Are you a clubber or are you a worshiper? Are you, are you a club mentality about church or are you a worship mentality about church? Traditionally, our gatherings as believers have been called worship services. I'm challenging our thinking about what that really means, our understanding about what we're doing when we gather. What distinguishes us as a church gathering as opposed to a club gathering? Now, I'm not going to ask you if you belong to a club. You probably do. I belong to a couple of clubs. I belong to a Rotary on Staten Island. Some of you know Rotary International. I belong to another club that's in Manhattan with people of like-mindedness in politics. That's all I'll say to you. You kind of know where I'm coming from because of my July 4th message, but if you were here, but, oh, I got a woo on that one. Okay, good. Uh, a little support there. Great, thank you. That made me feel better. What distinguishes us as a church gathering rather than a club gathering? I'll tell you what it is. very simple. The God factor. It's God himself. His presence, his manifest presence, and his word being used by the Holy Spirit to transform us, informing us, saturating all that we do and say, flowing into and out of our lives Monday through Saturday, in addition to Sunday. So how do we apply that first great commandment to love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength when we gather? How are we loving the Lord our God? What happens when we gather on a Sunday? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that it's in the context of what I call horizontal versus vertical. Every time we come together, there are horizontal experiences that we have and vertical experiences that we have, or at least we can go vertical. We're more naturally prone to go horizontal. That's easy. The tougher one is vertical. You got me? You're, you're with me on this? You know what I'm saying, right? The vertical is our corporate act of worship and adoration of the Almighty. It's when Mark, as a worshiper, and he is a worshiper, we know these talented, get out, we, we know that. It's a, it's a given, but Mark is a worshiper. And when Mark worships, he leads us in worship. We have the opportunity to worship, but it's our choice. We're not forced to do it. That's the vertical. The horizontal experiences are important too and are exemplified to us throughout the scripture and from the beginning of the early church, in fact, all the way through the scripture. Everything from announcements to a song that's focused on our celebration about about God and who he is. For instance, how great is our God is not a first pronoun direct worship song to God. How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? That's us celebrating together. That's an example of horizontal worship in the context of a worship service. But here's the point. Every experience that we have, God willing, every time we gather in the name of Jesus is designed to equip and prepare us to be better worshipers of the almighty Godhead the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one. It's designed to prepare us. If you think about it, every worship service has a combination of both the vertical and horizontal, which are designed to deepen us. Now, <clears throat> here's another question for us as I come to land the plane here in just a moment. Are we maximizing our vertical opportunities, or are we just enjoying that guy right over here to my left on the front row. We're just enjoying his singing. He's a great singer, one of the finest. And the guy on the piano about over here to my right, fine pianist, fine singer, fine worship leader, wonderful man of God. 
Are we just here to kind of enjoy that? And then kind of hang on in there and enjoy the... Or worse, are we kind of hanging in there until the message teaching comes because, you know, we got to get past that music stuff. I, I'm not really into music, you know. I, is that what's happening? And here's another question. Are we distracted by those around us or even the thoughts within us? These are all important questions as we walk into a worship service. We cannot get caught up in a routine or even good rhetoric. We have to check ourselves to see if we're in a rut or we're stuck, whether in our private moments with God, but also in our public gatherings with our brothers and sisters. Please hear me today. Music and singing is worship only, only to the extent that we are ascribing worth to God with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strengths. Fully, uh, 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 focus solely on the Lord, offering ourselves up as a sacrifice of praise to him. John 4, 23. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. When true worshipers will worship, the word is proskanoo, bow, prostrate before the Lord, surrender. The Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship. There it is again, proskaneo. Bow down before the Lord. He wants us to worship him in that way. So when we gather to worship through singing, it's an appointment of, with God at 9, PM, 9 a.m. every Sunday. We are called to worship him with our entire being, our physical being, our emotional being, our mental being, our spiritual integrity before God. In other words, worshiping the Lord through that first commandment. Healthy vertical worship leads to healthy horizontal worship style. Healthy vertical worship leads to healthy horizontal worship lifestyle. Loving the Lord with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and strength leads to, a, leads to loving our neighbors as ourselves. And in that context, discipleship can take place. Loving other believers and encouraging them and being encouraged by them. And the Great Commission takes place underneath, I believe, the second great commandment. That's the, that, what's the ultimate goal of loving our neighbors if it's not the Great Commission to bring the gospel to them? Loving the law, sharing the gospel, it's fulfilling. It's all centered on worship, the lifestyle of worship. I'd like you to stand for the reading of God's word. Now, usually we do that at the beginning, right? But today I'm going to do it at the end as Mark and Dave prepare to come because we're going to do what I was humbly suggesting to us today now in just a few moments. But I want to read this to you, the word of God, and you might want to close your eyes so that you're not distracted. It's up to you. But this is a prayer on so many levels. Psalm 115. Now we go to the Lord. Not to us, Lord. Not to us. But to your name, give glory. Because of your faithful love, because of your truth, why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. 
they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Israel, Naples gathering, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Naples gathering, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless this house. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord add to your numbers, both yours and your children's. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the human race. It is not the dead who praise the Lord nor any of those descending into the silence of death. But we, we will bless the Lord, both now and forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.